We are continuing our series on the book of Matthew. If you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to Matthew 8. We're going to look at Matthew 8 this morning. Um, and I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to bring it. I know it's, the passage is printed in the order of worship, but I encourage you to bring your Bible and you can uh, see stuff in context sometimes or look other things up that I might refer to. Um, but uh, basically, we've, we've started looking at the uh, the life of Jesus in the book of Matthew. And last week we saw how Jesus, Matthew started describing Jesus' public ministry um, as he called the first disciples. And then Matthew makes this summary statement of basically the rest of the book saying that Jesus was, was teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease. And so immediately after that, what we have is what's called the Sermon on the Mount. We refer to this as the Sermon on the Mount, chapters five to seven. And we are going to skip over the Sermon on the Mount because it, for those of you guys who are here, we did uh, a series on the Sermon on the Mount several years ago. Um, and if you're interested in listening to that, let me know and I can send you the, the audio of it. Um, but we're going to skip over to, to chapter 8 where Jesus, um, so he teaches for three chapters. And then in chapter 8, he begins healing people specifically. It, it, it zeroes in on some specific people that he heals. At the end of chapter 7, it talks about how Jesus taught with authority. He taught with authority. Nobody could dispute what he said. He taught as the one who, who actually uh, made everything up, the, the author of all things. And then as you get into chapter 8, what you see is that he doesn't just have authority over truth, but he has authority over the physical world as well, as he begins healing different people. At first, he heals a leper at the beginning of chapter 8, and then he encounters this Roman centurion who needs Jesus to bring healing to his servant. And that's what we're going to look at today. Um, Matthew 8, verses 5 to 13. So listen to God's word as I read. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would work among us now. We pray that you would speak to us now. We pray that you would say the word and that we would be strengthened, that we would be made more healthy, more whole. We pray, Father, that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to receive what you want to show us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you think that Jesus ever got goosebumps? What do you think? Do you think Jesus ever got goosebumps? I'm not talking about the goosebumps that you get when you're like scared. 
I'm talking about the goosebumps, you know, the, 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 the tingle that you get when you see something incredible, when you are moved unexpectedly with like, like intense emotion. Have you ever experienced that? Like I've experienced it in different, different scenarios. I mean, I, I watch, um, you know, I, you, you, you guys know, I, I watch like competition shows, like singing competition shows, you know, if you, if you watch, sometimes you'll, you'll watch like America's Got Talent and somebody will walk out on stage and they will look very unimpressive and they'll kind of be dressed in a way that like people would maybe make fun of them or something or they might be really young and not look that great or anything and, and they'll, they'll step up to the mic and then they will open their mouth and they will start singing and it will be so incredibly beautiful that you can't help but get like chills, like goosebumps, you know. Um, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit it, but I was watching a soccer game last year, and somebody made a pass to another player, and I actually got goosebumps. I, like, it was amazing. This, I was watching a Liverpool game, and this guy named Jordan Henderson, if you follow soccer at all, I'm sorry, this is Super Bowl Sunday, I'm talking about soccer, but, but he, he like, was at the, in the middle of the field, and he got the ball, and he passed the ball with the outside of his foot, and it, like, he threaded it between like, two players, and it curved around the last one right into the path of this other player, who then went on to score a goal easily. And I watched it, and I got goosebumps. I was like, and I rewatched it, and I got goosebumps again. Like, it was like so amazing. I don't know if you'd be able to appreciate it as much as I did, but, but for those of you who are more spiritual, you might get goosebumps when somebody shares with you like a miraculous answer to prayer. You know, when, it, when it's obvious God did something amazing. And you get goosebumps because you're moved, you know, by this, this amazing thing. You know, I wonder if Jesus got goosebumps. If, if, if he did, this might have been one of those times. This might have been one of those times, one of those situations, because in this passage, Jesus encounters a guy who demonstrates faith. And this is a guy that may, maybe was, it was a faith coming from an unexpected place. This is a Roman centurion, a guy who was looked at by pretty much all the Jews as the enemy. He was part of the occupying force in Israel. He was a foreigner. They wouldn't have wanted to even associate with him, and yet this guy demonstrates faith, and he demonstrates faith in such a way that it says what? It says, Jesus marveled, right? In verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled at this guy's faith. I wonder if Jesus got goosebumps at this guy's faith because he was so moved by, and in an unexpected way, right? Um, I think this passage teaches us about faith. It teaches us about, you know, what faith is, about why it's important, about its implications, about how to grow in our faith. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Just a few things. What does this passage teach us? What does the centurion teach us about what faith is, the kind of faith that Jesus marvels at? Okay, the kind of faith that makes a difference. Well, first it teaches us, in the outline I have the priority of faith, but you might want to put the, you know, in other words, you, you could put the, the pivotal role of faith. Faith is pivotal. It's pivotal. As I just mentioned, um, to a Jewish reader, this guy who displays faith is not somebody that they would admire. He's an enemy of the Israelites. He's a foreigner. And you even see that coming out when, when Jesus says, I'll come and, and heal him. And then in verse 8, he says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. You know, he, even the centurion recognizes Jesus, a Jew, would not want to come under his roof and, roof and associate with him. You know, he's looked down upon by most Jews of that day. And yet, 
Jesus singles him out. Jesus commends him. Jesus even implies, I would say, that he is going to be in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because of his faith. Purely because of his faith. His faith is what makes all the difference for him. Clearly, clearly, this guy, even though he's an enemy of the Israelites, he is probably very accomplished, very intelligent. He's a centurion, which means, you know, the Roman uh, military wasn't, wasn't like a shabby outfit, right? And yet he was a centurion. He was a guy who was put in charge of other people. So he was a successful person. And yet the thing that makes the difference, the thing that Jesus highlights about him is his faith. His faith is what makes the difference. I think that's one of the things that comes out in this passage, that, that like, as, we, as we live our lives and engage with all sorts of things in our lives and re- react to different things in our lives and try to order our lives around things, faith is the thing that will make the difference. It's pivotal for us. Faith is what, I think Hebrews 11.6 talks about this. And, and this is what I think the centurion has a little bit of a grasp of. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anybody who would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's what it says in Hebrews 11.6. And I think that's the centurion kind of has a, a little bit of a grasp of that. He might not com- have a complete understanding of who Jesus is, but he knows this much. And, and he displays this kind of faith. And that is the kind of faith that makes the difference in life. Without faith, we cannot please God. We cannot experience God's pleasure. Um, and so this is the greatest question before us today. As you think about your entire life, as you think about the things that you're, that you're struggling with right now, as you think about the things that you're longing for, as you think about just your day-in, day-out life, are you engaging life with faith or not? Or, or are you just kind of going about your life, just kind of figuring it out on your own, relying on your own wisdom, relying on your own ability to figure things out and do things? Or are you engaging everything from a perspective of faith? Faith makes all the difference. And I think one of the, one of the key reasons for that is he, he, he gives us some implications for what the destiny of those are who have faith and who don't have faith. First, he, I, I want to point out how he warns us the per, about the peril of those without faith. Okay? The peril of those without faith. In verse 12, after commending the centurion for his faith, he warns the Jews that the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right? As, as, he, as he commends this centurion, this foreigner, about his faith, he warns the, the Jews, the sons of the kingdom, these people who have the entire Old Testament to teach them about what faith is and should be. If they don't have faith, they will end up in the dark. They will end up in, being thrust into the outer darkness. They'll end up in a place where there is gnashing teeth, where their teeth are clenched because they're, they're so... There, there's such intense, like, negative emotion. They're so upset. And the thing that strikes me most is he talks about the fact that there will be weeping. This is the destiny of those without faith, of those who insist on engaging life without faith. It's weeping. I just heard a guy a couple nights ago talk about how apart from Jesus, 
there is only weeping. There is only weeping. In my life, I've gone through um, some difficult things. I've experienced some disappointment. I've experienced loss. I've experienced pain. Um, when I, I think my, my earliest memory, it's not I think, I know, my earliest memory, I think I maybe have shared this before, probably says something about me. My earliest memory is of me weeping. When I was very little, um, we had, you know, back in the olden days, you could go to McDonald's and get like a, a souvenir cup at McDonald's with, you know, Ronald McDonald on there and Grimace and Hamburglar on the outside of it. You know, you could get a glass one. That was really cool, but sometimes you would just get plastic ones. And I remember when I was really little, we got, I got a plastic cup from McDonald's. And so we went to the beach. We were living in Southern California, and, and we went to the beach. And I was, you know, too little to actually, like, go in the water. But I was playing in the sand, and I went to the edge of the water to try to get some water with my cup. And I was just not strong enough to hold on to it with this little tiny wave that came, and it slipped out of my hands, and then it just immediately drifted out of reach for me. And I, I, you know, I was too terrified to go in there. And I just watched as it just went further and further out. And it was absolutely lost to me. And I just remember weeping uncontrollably. You, you can imagine a little tiny child, how much they would weep when they lost something that's precious to them. And it was precious to me. And I just remember running back to the towel next to my mom and just curling up on that towel and just crying and crying and crying. That's, that's my earliest memory. You feel sorry for me. <laughs> but this is the thing. I mean, Jesus talks about without faith, it's, it's not just a momentary experience of weeping. This is, that experience that I had at the beach, it's forever, constant. You know, not even with somebody, I, at least when I was a little kid, I could go to my mom for a little bit of comfort. There is no comfort. And that is the destiny of those without faith. And I even think about, not, not, the, not just the long-term destiny, but even right now. I mean, all of us, we encounter stuff in our lives that move us to tears, right? Painful things. Um, and I, I know that there, there are some situations where maybe it's at the death of somebody that's close to us. And, and when I'm with other people who have faith and they're experiencing those tears, um, maybe about the loss of someone they love or something like that, often what will come up, somebody will make the comment, you know, I don't know how people deal with this if they don't believe in God, if they don't know Jesus. I don't know how people deal with this without faith, right? And this is the thing. This world is, is full of, yeah, moments of happiness and joy and laughter, but also a lot of tears. And without faith, this is as good as it's gonna get, it only gets worse. This is as good as it's going to get. And this life is full of tears. And so Jesus warns us about the peril for those without faith. Um, but, thankfully, he also paints a, paints a picture for us um, of the privilege of those with faith. He paints a picture of the, of the privilege of those with faith. In verse 11, if you back up one verse, he says, I tell you, after he commends the centurion for his faith, he says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. 
instead of weeping, those with faith have a feast waiting for us, have celebration waiting for us, have joy waiting for us. Um, sitting around a table, eating together. And, 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 he, and he invites us to picture sitting around a table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These, these are the patriarchs of the people of God, the ones who demonstrated the faith themselves. And uh, just, you know, invites us, you know, what would that be like to sit around with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Think about it. To sit there with Abraham, the one who God invited to go into the unknown, and made all these incredible promises to him. The one who God invited to go on an adventure with God, in a sense. He, you could call Abraham the courageous one. That he was willing to, by faith, go and trust God to be enough for him. Think about the stories that Abraham could tell us as we sit with him. About all the ways that God provided. Even in the face of his failure. As he went on that adventure, courageously. Think about Isaac. I mean, there's not as much, you know, content in Genesis about Isaac, but, but you, could, you, know, you could call Abraham the courageous one. You could call Isaac the impossible one. Isaac should never have even existed. He was born to a couple who was way past the age of being able to have children. Think about what it would be like to grow up in a, in a house where the, your parents are constantly looking at you like you're a miracle. I mean, all parents should probably look at their kids that way, but here, I mean, he should never have happened and he did. Think about the stories that Isaac could tell us about being the impossible one. And then think about Jacob. Think about Jacob, this guy who through his entire life, he was, he was struggling. He was constantly battling with others, trying to grasp for what could be his. And, and even struggling with God. And in the end, God, God wrestles with him. You know that passage where he wrestles with, with the angel. And and, and he, he clings to him, and yet God, just with, with just a little touch, just um, wrenches his hip out of socket. And so this guy, Jacob, is a guy who ends up limping. You, you could call him the broken one. You know? The one who's been broken by God. The one who has seen pain in his life, and yet in the midst of his pain has also seen this incredible blessing from God. His grace meeting him. You know, this guy who, who struggled, who experienced pain, who was broken by God, who walked with a limp, and yet who saw God's faithfulness, who saw the fact that God was enough. Imagine the stories that he could tell us. And, and you know, whether, you're, whether we're talking with the courageous one, Abraham, or the impossible one, Isaac, or the broken one, Jacob, there's a common thread throughout all of their stories, I'm sure, that we would all pick up on, and that's the satisfying nature of God, the power of God, the goodness of God, you know, the grace of God. That is what would come through as we talked, as we sat around, as we sit around the table with these guys and with one another. Because that's what we have the image of. As you, as you think about people sitting around a table, right? It's, a, it's of a feast. And when you sit at a table of a feast, you know, what do you experience? You, you experience fullness. You experience satisfaction as you eat together to your heart's content. But I think as we sit around the table in the kingdom of heaven, what are we going to experience? Not just uh, physical satisfaction, but spiritual satisfaction. That God is enough. That he, he is the one who makes us full. 
the stories of his, of his power and his grace and his intervention in our lives, that is what makes us full. That is the privilege of those who walk through life with faith. Not only getting to look forward to how, how we celebrate that God makes us full, but even now, feeding off of him, of his grace and his provision and his love today. That is the privilege of those with faith. So Matthew is showing us the, the, how, how faith is absolutely crucial. It is pivotal for how we will spend eternity, but it's pivotal for how we experience now. Not only does he write to show us that faith is pivotal, but I think he writes to encourage us to believe, encourage us to have faith. And how does he do that? Well, he does that, I think, by not just showing us how the, faith, how the, how the centurion demonstrates faith, but he shows us the power of Jesus. He shows us Jesus. The centurion comes to Jesus in his need, concerned for his servant. But then he makes this statement about Jesus' power and authority, right? He's like, I'm a soldier. I know what it's like to live under authority, to have authority. I know what it's like, you know, to give an order and expect that order to be obeyed. You know, I say go, and they go. I say stay, and they stay. I say do this, and they do it. I know what it's like to be in charge. And Jesus, I know. You're in charge. All you have to do is what? Say the word, and my servant will be healed. He's confident in the power of Jesus, and Jesus doesn't disappoint him, right? You look at the very last verse, verse 13. It says, and, the centurion, and to the centurion, Jesus said, go. Let it be done for you as you have believed. Jesus doesn't have to, to wave his hands. He doesn't have to say some kind of magic word or magic incantation. He doesn't even have to snap his fingers like the guys in the Marvel movies. He just says, go, and he's healed. Jesus just has to decide it, and he's healed. That's how powerful he is. All authority is his. All power is his. his. And so that's, what I think, what Matthew invites us to see. How do we become people of faith? It's not about trying really hard to believe as hard as I can. It's about looking at Jesus and seeing how powerful he is. That's it. That's what matters. I can have the smallest faith possible, but if it's in Jesus, that's all I need because he's sufficient, because he is in charge. He is powerful to do whatever he desires. And so what exactly, as we think about this, you know, we see that, that faith is important, that it's crucial, that it's pivotal. We see that it has serious implications for how we live. We see that the, the way to cultivate it is not by trying really hard, but, but simply by looking at Jesus. What, what exactly is faith? And that's where I want to kind of leave us this morning. What exactly is faith? Well, I think it's, it's actually really simple. I mentioned Hebrews 11.6 before. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anybody who wants to draw near to God, anybody who wants to draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is faith in, in its simplest form. It's just drawing near. It's just coming to Jesus. That's it. I mean, isn't that where the centurion's faith started in this passage? 
If you look at verse five, when he entered Capernaum, what happened? A centurion came forward to him. Faith is simply coming to Jesus in the midst of our need, in the midst of the fact that we aren't worthy, just coming to Jesus and trusting that he will meet us, that he has the power to make a difference in whatever I'm coming to him about. It's about coming to Jesus in the midst of my, my ultimate need of a savior, my need of, of, of my sin. The fact that I have lived a life that isn't what God wants. And because of that, I should be thrown into the outer darkness. And yet, if we come to Jesus, it's his life and death and resurrection that makes it possible for me to be whole, to be restored to God. It's, it's about coming to Jesus in the midst of my uncertainty about my future. It's about coming to Jesus in the midst of my pain and grief about something that I've lost. It's about coming to Jesus when I'm, I'm stressed out because of problems that my friends are facing or my children are facing or my family, my parents are facing. It's about coming to Jesus in every situation of life. That's faith. Coming to Jesus because only he can meet my need. Coming back to the whole idea of, of goosebumps, whether Jesus gets goosebumps or not, I'm not sure. But you know what should give us goosebumps? You know what should give us goosebumps? Is the fact that this person, Jesus Christ, the God-man, that he showed here, he demonstrated that he had the power to simply say the word, and it happened, right? That's the kind of power that he had. To just decide something, and it's, it happens. He had that kind of power. He has that kind of power. And yet, what should give us goosebumps is that he willingly allowed himself to be hung on a cross and to keep his mouth shut about it. He could have come down. You know, as those people came by and said, save yourself, you've saved others. You know, he could have easily come down and yet he didn't. He didn't. He didn't for you and for me. That should give us goosebumps and that should move us all the more to come, to come to him. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that you would help us because we need your spirit to work in us. Move us from a place where we are maybe too callous to be moved by what you have done for us. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see the truth, to see this warning about pursuing a life without faith, but also to see this invitation of what it's like to have a life that is full because of faith, because we are coming to Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would transform us, transform our hearts, that you would wean us off of a love for the things of this world, and you would grow in us a, a deeper, stronger love for our Savior, for Jesus. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
we now have an opportunity to